0: Hello and welcome to Pussy Riot's Who Watches the World Cup, also known as Perisic the Thor. The podcast where we specifically talk about Croatian player Perisic, the Perisic pod. I've I've pretty much run out of of jokes there. Pussy Riot's Perisic pod, Perisic the Thor. (laughs) This is Who Watches the World Cup. I think... Nay, I know, the only podcast on the internet that compares international politics with the footballing prowess of the nations in this year's Euro 2020 tournament, even though it's 2021. Dave. Hello. Hi. I'm, I'm going to try, I'm just going to just throw everything over to you now because we're on to Group D and often when we come to a group in which we, uh, we talk about England, the episodes go on for about... 500 years, so I'm just going to chuck it straight over to you. Group D, baby.
1: Baby. What's it all about? We have actually got to see all the teams play um, before recording this episode. Oh, yeah. So we saw England versus Croatia, and we've seen Scotland versus Czech Republic. Um, So it's a nice chance to be able to get a grip on the the squads and how they're going to shape up, how they're going to perform without having to delve into me making some very poorly informed predictions that ne- <laughs> never turn out to be true. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, we actually, if, as England fans, got a tournament off to a good start. Oh and my God. Instead of being like, at least the things that I've seen, the people I've talked to about it, um, we're not all upbeat. Like, I think we're going to go all the way. This was a great start. Everyone's going, well, that was a good start, but let's just see what happens next. Like, even though we've, beating what most people would say would be the hardest, uh, the, other, the other best team in the group, and um, Scotland and Czech Republic shouldn't pose as much of a threat, people are still a little bit um, cautious in, in their enthusiasm. So that is, I, what I have seen is kind of the opposite of that. Where the,
0: the reporting I have seen on it is, we beat Croatia 1-0! gareth southgate's a tactical genius (laughs) and because before well you i'm sure you can go into this this a little bit more than i can but before england croatia the team sheet came out and we were like oh my god who's he picked and then there were a couple of maybe little surprises but the big surprise was uh atletico madrid's kieran trippier starting at left back now why
1: was that nonsense (laughs) <laughs> Nonsense. Yes. Well, everyone thought so. Yes. But we had, we had seen a little bit of this in the warm-up games with Kieran Trippier playing at left-back, which was strange when you have Ben Chilwell and Luke Shaw. the like you know, actual left Actual backs. number threes, actual left-backs. Um, so it seemed like Southgate was maybe experimenting with something. Maybe uh, one or both of Shaw and Chilwell weren't fit or... Kieran Trippier's um, dead ball delivery is obviously really valuable now that we haven't got Alexander-Arnold. So they want to try and get him in the team as best and as wherever he can. And he's, he's obviously played there um, a number of times before in his career. This isn't a brand new thing. But for, to put him in for the first game of the Euros was a bit of a surprise, uh, to say the very least. Um, but... As, like, Gary Lin- not Gary Lin- Gary Neville said, I think, um, after the game. was like, nobody saw that coming, but now no one can argue with this decision because it paid off. See, that's, that's exactly the thing that I mean,
0: right? And I remember, I don't know if you remember, when the New Orleans Saints won the Super Bowl. In fact, we watched it at your house. We all, did. all those years ago, yes. And it was a crazy decision where the, they started the second half, the Saints came on to the second half, and they kicked an onside kick the beginning of the second half which is this is all american football nonsense but normally an onside kick is a move you go for when your team is like a couple of points down at the very end of the game so that you can try and... It's a gamble to try and recover a loss because otherwise you're going to lose the game anyway.
1: Yeah, maybe the equivalent is like putting your keeper up for a corner in the, in the 90th minute. Exactly, yeah. yeah.
0: But in the second half of the Super Bowl, the Saints started it with an onside kick, something that nobody in their right mind would ever have done. And they're like, oh my God, the coach, the coach is a genius. Like he's just pulled. Like no one saw this coming. What a move! And everyone said that because it worked. Yeah. Right. If he had fa- if that had gone the other way, everyone would be like, "What is he doing? Starting an onside?" Like if it could have gone exactly the same, but the opposition team just got to the ball first. Yeah, and they get possession higher up the pitch, and it's yes. easier for them to score even more. Yeah, and so. but the, the whether or not somebody is a genius seems to be based around like. Often the luck of the draw. And that's kind of my slight problem with like with, with saying that, oh well it works. Cause it did work. But it wasn't I didn't think the Croatia game was like a rousing victory for England. Like we won, but it wasn't like, God, we dominated that game. But like, what did you what did you think of the match? Because there were a few times where we saw Kieran Trippier and we said well why isn't he passing oh because he can't because he's on his wrong foot yeah, yeah and he had to keep turning and it was kind of he was in an awkward yeah. position at times
1: it was definitely a defensive decision yeah. like you didn't put him there um to try and create things from the left-hand side going forward you put him there to put a stop to their wide players so they started with Andre Kramaric on the right wing on, on Kieran Trippier's side and he's been more of a more of a center forward but they must have um decided to go with trying to um, negate the inside forwards coming inside. So they have Perisic who plays on the left, who always comes inside. Um, and they figured Kyle Walker could handle him. But yeah, with Kieran Trippier, well, no, and you're making a face because we actually spent a lot of that game going, why the fuck is Kyle Walker playing? Yes. Because he kept making mistakes. Yes, but, but his mistakes all came from when he was on yes, the ball. Yes, yes. Yeah. His passing was poor and he dilly-dallied a couple of times. He well, dilly dilly-dallyed a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. But when it came to um, his defensive positioning and and yeah. get, and make, giving being in the right place, and making tackles, he was actually pretty good. Um, so, kind of on both fallback positions, it seemed like they were defensive uh, defensive choices because Perisic is known for being very very quick, very mobile, and Kyle Walker is one of the fastest people I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so even if he maybe he can be criticised for lacking some concentration, and sometimes he's. You, you would back him to recover because he's, he's so quick and physical. Um, but with, yeah, with Kieran Trippier, he wasn't there to try and like play balls up the line mm. to, to Foden or Sterling, whoever was in front of him. He was there to put a stop to the, to the Croatian wide players. And I don't remember an awful lot coming from his side in terms of threat mm. for England. So yeah. like you said, um, it was a weird decision. But the fact that it turned out to work almost perfectly... It's lauded as genius as opposed to unlike the the Saints online kick thing from the Super Bowl, on on sidekick, sorry, there's no really not much luck involved in <laughs> Southgate's decision. That was just tactically sound. Genius is maybe is a bit of a strong word, but tactically sound. And the the, the kind of um, when it when it was first called, I wonder how many people were like, he's a fucking idiot. What the yeah. hell is he doing? What a ridiculous decision. Because, you know, we watched the World Cup three years ago where yeah. He made a lot of decisions and a lot of them proved to be prudent. And it got us all the way to the semi-final of a World Cup. So I hope most people saw that decision and went, Southgate's up to something. <laughs> what's he doing, what's he that doing? cheeky
0: Southgate? Yeah, well, another thing that this game introduced us to is that every team has a regional gazer, and every <laughs> yeah. team has their own Modric. <laughs> We've learned that. We've learned that so far. Every uh, Every team you see has somebody... Who uh, who has the kind of the bleach, the bleach blonde hair? I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's got the Luka Modric, uh, it's a blonde um, Alice band kind of look as well. Yeah. Yeah. So in uh, yeah. obviously
0: in, in the England squad we've got uh, we've got Phil Foden who is the Stockport Gasser. The Stockport Gasser. The then uh, Graylish, who surprisingly didn't get to play, but Graylish is uh, the English Modric. He's a, so the closest thing saying. we have to uh, a prime Modric. Yeah. So. Yeah. What What seemed to happen in this game was England, uh, they played fine, but the magic didn't happen. And then just as Raheem Sterling was about to be taken off for Jack Grealish, Raheem Sterling scored. Yeah. And um, then Grealish just sat back down and Southgate went, well, if Sterling scored, you don't, you know, you don't take him off after he's actually done something. Because you
1: yeah. want to keep that momentum. Yeah, there. if anything, it would give him more confidence. And actually, after he did score, he started to be a bit more incisive yeah. and running and just... I was criticising him in the first half because he was showing that kind of hesitation and indecisiveness yes. that's kind of marred in the second half of his season at Man City. And when he is off form, how that kind of manifests usually is he doesn't really seem like he knows what he's doing. Like He he spends too much time in his head, it looks like, because Raheem Sterling, when he's at his best, just collects the ball and goes. It's like he doesn't even think about it. It's just instinct. And that's what he started to do a bit more after he scored his goal and created... Um, more of a problem for for a Croatia that way, um. So yeah, he's a kind of player that. We again in the World Cup were pissed that Southgate stuck with him for so long because <laughs> he actually in that tournament didn't, um, provide or produce anything despite all of the faith Gareth Southgate showed in him. But now in the first game, when we're having those similar kind of feelings, yeah. like why is he gone with Sterling? Why didn't he start Rashford? Why didn't he start somebody else? Why didn't why not even Grealish? Um. It's good for England that that um, that faith has has paid off. Yeah. Because Sterling on form and full of confidence, like he's going to be a real threat. Yeah. So that's all good news. Yeah.
0: So on the other side of the pitch, we've got the Croatian Modric Modric. Yeah. um, Seem to be having a little bit of what you've kind of spoken about before as the Harry Kane problem. Where you've got your captain, you've got your commanding player, and when the rest of the team's kind of letting them down, these are the players that go further back, get the ball, and are like, right, I've got the ball now, everyone just go, in that sort of thing. And it's a problem for Harry Kane, because he's meant to be our our striker, and he's dropping back all the way to collect the ball. Um, just to kind of make something happen. But for Modric, he's in, obviously he's in the more midfield position. But we saw Modric dropping all the way back, like almost behind the defenders at times and trying to drive the ball forward. Yeah. Yeah. It does, do you think Modric suffers from the problem where in comparison to last time they got to the World Cup final, this time, it seems like Modric is trying to compensate for the rest of his team, which you wouldn't expect from the team that got to the World Cup final last time, right? Like, and is this Perisic the
1: thought? Is this going to be Modric's last tournament? I didn't think he was going to be at this one. Yeah, and I, um, I certainly was. Would didn't expect him to be at the next World Cup when we spoke uh, about Russia in twenty eighteen. But now that that World Cup is only eighteen months from now, mm-hmm. and Modric is leading his country at the Euros, there's no reason to say that he won't be. He'll be, what thirty seven by the time the Oof. World Cup starts, yeah. but. Yeah. Yeah, he's still their talisman. He's still there to make things happen. And he does do. I think it's more, unlike with Harry Kane, where you could kind of make an argument that um, when he does drop so deep, like into the number ten, or maybe sometimes into the middle of midfield to make things happen, he does have the ability to make a pass and to see something that other players maybe don't see. So if he was going to drop that deep, you want him to turn on the ball. Spread it wide to the white, the wingers, and then he needs to make his way into the box. Mm. And because he's not necessarily the quickest player, when he does drop deep and then play a pass, it takes him a while to get forward. So it doesn't necessarily really pay very many dividends. And you, it kind of seems as a fan that he's just getting isolated up front with the central defenders and is getting a bit bored. And you know, players like him, they want, they need touches of the ball to keep them engaged, to keep their confidence up. They need to. To touch it, <laughs> yeah. it's just a weird, like tactile thing, especially with like um, more creative, nimble players. Like Phil Foden's the same. Yeah, he, the more he touches the ball, the better. He but, was really exciting, especially the beginning. Well, the begin- yeah, he was exciting right at the beginning, and he had that shot that came back off the post, yeah. and then he kind of, he kind of, yeah. um, kind of drifted away. But um, yeah, with Modric, I think it's more of a plan, a tactical plan, where he will drop so deep in the air. like you said. Sometimes he was coming right back alongside the centre halves to ping things around and going off of our our American football analogy earlier he's their quarterback mm-hmm. he wants to have the ball and see everything in front of him because he can he can hit those receivers when he needs to yeah. but even though this this Croatia squad is very similar in in its um makeup to the squad that got uh, to the final of the world cup there's not that many differences in terms of um personnel um i guess they're all 3 years older uh, maybe they don't have that kind of um momentum any more it seems like England's three
0: years older and that's working to their advantage because of the last World Cup they were well, like, one of the youngest
1: squads like. yeah, yeah exactly so yes there are certain players who have come into their own and I think you brought this up at the beginning of this tournament that the fact that it got delayed by a year because mm. of Covid has been really beneficial for, for a lot of teams not just England but specifically mm. for England with the likes of Phil Foden who have really come to the fore um, but yeah with the older squads they've only gotten one year, one year older Hmm. Interesting.
0: After we watched the England-Croatia game, we had to wait a day to
1: get the rest of Group B. Um, oh you... yeah, you were going to explain to me why the fuck England's group in Group D played before the Group C match. Yeah, I don't know.
0: Uh, I think I'm still convinced it's a time difference thing, but there's no explainer on the internet to to say
1: to me. Uh, well, this is why, Dave. Well, I I was of the opinion that it's because. If they did it in order, that means England's first game at the Euros would have been at the beginning of the working week. Mm-hmm. And the powers that be, especially since Wembley is hosting a lot of games, were like, we'd rather that England played on a Sunday so more people watch it on TV. Yes. Whereas if you put it on at three o'clock on a Monday or a Tuesday, we're going to get less ratings. So, you know.
0: I think um, some of that's probably true. I mean, like that is how they sort out, you know, which teams are playing when as well. It's a time difference thing for the The nations at home as well, like that's how you can they they work out their their scheduling and stuff, so yeah, I get that I imagine that probably does play into it in in a fair fashion um We saw before how Croatia had almost complained a little bit that it was an unfair advantage for England to be playing all of their games at Wembley, um which is true, and that is really why England should do better in this tournament is because they are playing all of their games at Wembley and Croatia and the Czech Republic are both at a disadvantage because both teams were supposed to be based in Scotland for the group because Group D are playing in London and Glasgow. However, coronavirus has been so much of a problem, especially in Scotland now. I think Dundee is now the city in the UK. My beloved Dundee. Um, that That's serious. That's not a joke. I love Dundee. Oh, I did my master's degree there. Um... They uh, now have the worst COVID numbers in the country. I think it's it's like around 250 per 100,000, which for us was like near peak levels around here, like um, back in like January or something like that. So, yeah, it's really still really serious up there. So both Croatia and the Czech Republic decided... Yeah, we're not going to base ourselves in Glasgow because that kind (laughs) of seems like a bad idea because Glasgow itself, I think, is still under the most serious lockdown restrictions that Scotland has, because for those of you who are listening for some reason who are not in the UK, um, we have a devolved system of government whereby we are the United Kingdom, but then um, the, uh, the English government can set lockdown rules for itself. The Welsh government can set its own lockdown rules and... The scottish and northern irish governments have control over their 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 own territories for lack of a better phrase um which means that scotland has different lockdown rules to england and wales and it is it's a it's a crazy crazy situation um but it means that the coronavirus has decreased a reasonable amount in the uk although now it's going up again we'll get into that in a minute um but it's still in full bloom up in up in scotland especially in glasgow so both croatia and the czech republic went yeah we're not doing that we're gonna stay in croatia and the czech republic and then we'll fly over for the games but as we said before with wales having to go to baku azerbaijan like the addition of having to fly to the other country with with a time difference with climate differences with all of those things like that's a sizable disadvantage like at least when wales were in azerbaijan they had a week to get ready and acclimatize for the games yeah they're based there aren't they yeah which both croatia and the czech republic were supposed to do over here but chose not to because they didn't want to get infected <laughs> you know fair enough can't hold that against them but at the same
1: time they've kind of disadvantaged themselves they've added to the disadvantage mm. yeah yeah well maybe that's that's something that you can you can play into it and it is odd for the for England to be playing all of their games because uh, yeah um even the Wales are based in Azerbaijan they I think they're playing one of the other venues in that group and not in only Rome, in yeah. Rome they're not only playing in Azerbaijan yeah and the Italians are also going to Azerbaijan for one game despite Rome being
0: the the one of the hosting things yeah. so Italy aren't playing all of their games in in
1: Rome I don't, yeah so I don't really understand why England aren't playing one of their games in Glasgow yeah they should be playing Scotland in Glasgow shouldn't they yeah yeah that that would seem kind of fair yeah and. This tournament, probably more than any that's ever come before it, home advantage might be what sways a lot of these games because yeah. all these players have spent a year and a half playing in front of nobody. So suddenly have thousands of people chanting solely for your team and only having yeah. a, a sporadic few chanting for the opposition, that's going yeah, to that's, that's lift you. Yeah, And for England as well, we have the advantage,
0: assuming we were to make it far, um, we have the advantage of the semi-finals and the finals being played in Wembley Stadium.
1: Yeah, like what a what a draw that would be! It's like it's like being in the FA Cup and knowing that if you get to the semi-finals, you get to play at to, uh, Wembley. Yeah, like that's and that's a massive motivation in itself. It's a huge, a huge yeah. venue, and yeah, for England at a major tournament to be like lads, if we get to the last four, we'll be back in front of our own fans. Yes, yeah. that's huge. Yeah, and it's especially bizarre because
0: Wembley was chosen. Because the other stadium, I can't remember where the semi-finals were meant to be played, but it was, I think it may have been Rome as well. But they decided that, again, coronavirus was too much of an issue, so they decided to place it in Wembley instead. But the UK is the country in Europe with the most coronavirus deaths. France has had actually more cases than us, but we have had far more coronavirus deaths. The only country that comes close to the UK with deaths from coronavirus Take a guess. Across the whole world, or just Europe? In Europe, Italy. Italy, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. So you've got the you've got two of your major hosts being Italy and and the UK, and both of them have uh, the highest coronavirus deaths in Europe. And again, it's that thing of playing into the pandemic where more players now have had to go out permanently because of uh, coronavirus, and we. Well, I guess I can use this to transition over to the politics as well, but. Yesterday, Boris Johnson, prime minister of nobody, decided that um, the the new Delta variant, this is what they've done. They decided it was previously it was the India variant. Right. Yeah. But they decided that the more we called it the India variant, I don't know, the more unpc PC it seemed. So they called it the Delta variant. It also means that we don't have to refer to it as the the Alpha variant as the English variant. So that was very clever. Of oh, all. okay. How self-serving. Yes. Yeah, well, was... Delta variant sounds like something from Star Trek. It does. Yeah. And it's going to... Thankfully, Voyager's is going to be there. So it'll be all right. <laughs> but the, they said, um, because of the Delta variant... Um, we're going to have to increase lockdown. Lockdown was supposed to end at June 21st. And they said, they called it Freedom Day Day. They said, June 21st, Freedom Day. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And all the scientists went, there's a problem here. They went, no, 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 And for months, for months, there was, oh yeah, the, the Delta variant now accounts for 91% of new cases of coronavirus in the UK. They're like, yeah, it's fine. We're keeping an eye on it. And then a week to go, they're like, ah. Yeah, we're going to have to postpone it by a month. And I think it's fair to say the country, not best pleased. No. And that, again, is Boris Johnson's own fault. Because he said, oh, we're going to say, oh, this is my Richard Nixon again. You I've can't... lost my Boris Johnson. I <laughs> can't my Richard Nixon. I can't. Let's do it as Richard Nixon. Yeah. Okay. I am not a crook. Uh, it's like, uh, oh God, Richard Nixon does coronavirus. Well, that's a nightmare. <laughs> We're going to have Freedom Day on June 21st, said Richard Nixon, Boris Johnson. <laughs> but because he kept saying it again and again and again, um, everyone was like, yeah, well, all right, well, that's it. And businesses businesses set their opening days in Bath City and Cardiff Dave. Oh, is that not going to happen? I, have, I don't know, because I don't want to look it up and see that they've called it off. But they have to, right? Because they can't open up for big sporting
1: like uh, arenas like that as they were supposed to do oh, I, I never I didn't really have any personal um, pain around this delay until that piece of p- potential news
0: it's, if, if that's the case and it, surely it must be I hate Boris Johnson even more even, even more but this is the, this is the problem right the lengthening of the lockdown rules is not enough Because the spread of the Delta variant is happening because of the current relaxation of lockdown rules, right? If what he wants to do is to stop the spread of it, this isn't enough. If he wants to stop the spread of it more, he has to lock down further, right? So what he's doing is another half measure. And this pisses people off because he's told people that, oh, it's going to end. That's going to be the end of it. And rather than it being the end of it, he's continuing with a half measure, which means by July the 19th, what's going to happen, Dave?
1: My dad's birthday.
0: Yeah. And what else? I don't know. We're going to have a bigger lockdown. Oh. That's my prediction. The Euros are going to end. We may even have to leave Wembley. They may have to rearrange. I'm, I'm going to put that down. I don't know who's going to win the Euros, but I reckon the finals are going to be taken out of Wembley. And I reckon we're going to go into a further lockdown, a tighter lockdown than we're in now, Because what they've said now is, oh yeah, we're just going to keep
1: going as we're going. Well, how's that doing for you, Boris? <laughs> Not great. Not great. Not great. It seems so like, un-English to be so dead set on on this. Yeah. It's such it would be such an English thing to be like, well, we'd like it to be the 21st and we'll just see how it goes. Yeah. But it's so almost it's almost kind of trumpian and American presidential to be like, nope, it's going to happen. There's nothing's going to stop us. We're going to have free. and using the word freedom, freedom and like just planting that in the papers and yeah. in the public consciousness is so American. American. Yeah, instead of being very like kind of reserved and uncommittal like is is the English way. Yes. It's been hanging out with Joe Biden too much. Yes.
0: Well, the G7 as well taking place in St. Ives in Cornwall has just started to wrap up. They had big conversations about the climate, about coronavirus, and they just released a um, a United Statement on China as well. Um, trying to take action on China for the, the treatment of the Uyghur people and uh, the pro-democracy activists in Hong Kong. Needless to say, uh, China were very happy about it. And they released a statement saying, stay away from our domestic affairs. We just want to not look like A.A. Milne characters and be left alone. (laughs) Callback. Said, yes, said the Chinese government. Um, The embassy as well saying, oh, this is just all American propaganda. Um, Again, it's not domestic affairs. It's uh, Hong Kong is still technically an autonomous region. So uh, it's, in, it's in the special Hong Kong SAR, Hong Kong Special Autonomous Region. It's not technically domestic policy. Just throwing it out there. Anyway, let's move on. Okay. Um, let's move on to Scotland. Um, there was a lot of hype for that Scotland game. And you were hyped for it. Before we spoke about Wales, you spoke about Wales. Oh, what, what are the chances of Wales performing, so on and so forth? And you were like, Wales, oh, I don't know. Scotland are the ones to watch. Why did you think that Scotland might be the, the little British
1: team that could? I think maybe I was suckered in a little bit by by this great swell of, of enthusiasm by the Scottish people. And the Scottish pundits were like, yeah. we're going to do great. And the more I looked into the squad, I thought, well, actually, the squad is pretty, is pretty decent. and very together and... What I expected from them is what they definitely showed against the Czech Republic, which was this kind of warrior attitude, like like playing for the country. So they, they never stopped. They battled constantly and then ultimately what let them down is a little lack in quality in, in, in little areas. And well, actually, to be honest, it was 2-0 because of a wonder goal. Yeah. And the first goal was, again, well-crafted. The defending was fine, obviously not perfect, otherwise maybe they would have kept it out, but it was a good header. The second goal was the best goal ever scored at the Euros. Oh, shut up. I don't... I hate this. <laughs> I hate this like sensationalization yeah. of anything that happens and it's new. Yeah. It's like Sure, it's a great goal, and actually the more you watch it and the more you, how you see it bends, he, he, he puts it really wide and it bends back into the goal. It's bel- unbelievably good. It's excellent. But then to be like it's the greatest goal of any euros like really come in can we sit down and watch every single one and rank them or is the papers and the media just gone it's come and look at us come look at this come look at these words the best ever and yeah. you know it's just all press bollocks that pisses me off yeah i again we were saying this we
0: were we were walking dave's dogs earlier and i said i said to dave I don't know if you can call it the best goal ever when the goalie isn't in his goal, <laughs> yeah. And uh, the goalie, the goalie gets back. He's so close as well. He gets yeah. so close to it. But again, like that again speaks to the quality of the goal that the keeper wasn't able to to get to
1: it. Um, but oh, feel, well, it was a good goal. It was a good goal, yeah. and you feel bad for Scotland, yeah, because they, they really, they really deserved on their effort. And their pride and their yeah. honour, yeah. they deserved more, but ultimately they let down. But then they were let down by some of the, I, th- I feel, some of the tactical decisions too. Well, well, I mean, we can just say, you know, Scotland's first major European, well, first major tournament since '98. They, yeah, '98 they, yeah, was their last um, yeah. last major tournament. And, then yeah. the, and they're they, playing uh,
0: at home and to lose 2 0. Perisic the Thought.
1: Perisic the Thought. But it happened. So (laughs) yeah, so it happens. Yeah, yeah. No, I wish I wished I wished more for them, and but if anything, they didn't. They didn't um, look like a team that aren't gonna. They may walk away with no points, but right. Hopefully, that that kind of fight and spirit will will karma will reward them for it, and they'll get to go away with something. Um. Because yeah, they they impressed me at least by their heart. And I thought, their players I thought they, were really... they looked good. They just
0: got unlucky with that first goal, and they were well, unlucky that the Czech Czech team played so well. Yeah, that and, header was 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 really good as yeah, well. Yeah, and that second goal again, you
1: know, once in a tournament style goal. It just happened to be against them in the. Yeah, other game. but like, even from the beginning, they played. Uh, they played one that their, their probably their main striker, Lyndon Dykes, up front, and yeah. as they've done a, a, a lot, they played. Ryan Christie up top with him, but he's more like a midfield winger. Mm-hmm. And I was... I I I missed the beginning of the game and I walked in going, wait uh, waiting to see Che Adams. Because he's... And he, when he came on, and he, he played great. He played, played brilliantly when yeah. he came on at half-time. He made things happen. He was a handful for the defenders. Yeah. They had way more chances after he came on. So I was kind of thinking, if that's tactical, then that's a mistake. He fucked up. and if you But then if he wasn't fit enough... Mm-hmm. You know, fair enough, and he got a good half. And based on that performance, if he doesn't start the next two games, that'll be a a real letdown. Um, but yes, the, even their defenders were great. Grant Hanley was a mm-hmm. fucking boss. Yeah. yeah, he was excellent.
0: Yeah, um, that was that was the thing watching them was watching Scotland was going. These guys are playing really well. They just got the bum result.
1: Yeah, and he, yeah, and I, I mean, my my two cents is that if Che Adams was playing from the beginning. Mm-hmm. The, twice as many opportunities are created than there were, and you know maybe they get lucky. Maybe a little bit of brilliance gets them a goal, and who knows what happens? What happens from there? But Stuart Armstrong, John McGinn, they all put in a great shift. Yeah, uh, Robertson, Andrew, Andrew Robertson, Robertson obviously yeah. is the is their key man. Maybe with defence they miss Kieran Tierney, who wasn't who wasn't fit, so um, Jack Hendry had to come in and play in his place. But even he played quite well, and he, he it was him who had that shot off the crossbar. Yeah, in the second yeah. half, which is yeah. so close. So, yeah, I mean, I think people expected, maybe people expected Czech Republic to win. Anyone besides the Scots who expected Czech Republic to maybe, to maybe scrape it. But, but Scotland um, had beaten the Czech Republic twice
0: in the run-up to this tournament, I think. So it wasn't as if this was a game that Scotland, you know, that we could have said, oh, the Czech Republic may be, you know, historically a better team. They've got a good squad. But, like, Scotland have beaten them on the way here. And not in friendlies either, in like the, the, I always want to call it the Cup of Nations. (laughs) Um, So it's that, you know, maybe the Czech Republic, they lost to them twice. And they're like, not again,
1: not today, Zerg. We're playing Patrick Shtick shit. Yeah, well, it's, that's an interesting point because that raises some concerns about um, England's qualification for this tournament, which we had Czech Republic in our group, and um, the one game yeah. we lost was against Czech Republic. Yes. We beat them 5-0, but then we lost against them 2-1 away. So, yeah, it's kind of goes to show that the Czech Republic don't necessarily take their run in, into consideration. They show up on the day, and either they do, they do it or they don't. Yeah. And, what what do you make of this Czech team? Um, I, I wouldn't say that I was impressed, but they seem to have a very... Very, they're very organised and very tight I think they seem to be very tight-knit and they've got some co- players that really kind of stand out. Like I've talked before about I'm a fan of Suchek and Sufau because they're West Ham players and also, in an unbiased way, they're actually very good at their jobs. Suchek is a box-to-box. He's a threat going forward, um, not only with his head, but he's scored goals for West Ham and for the, and for his national team and he's a handful um, in defence as well because of his height and his strength and Sufal has a great delivery from from the right, um, but uh, Alex Crowell was another player I thought was quite impressive in in central midfield. Uh, Derrida, their captain, their kind of number ten is is pretty decent too. But then they're one of these teams where you pick out players and go pretty decent, pretty good, kind of impressive. Like, but they they don't have any superstars, which kind of I think we've talked about before. Kind of helps a team. Um, perform as a team and really rally together when they all kind of feel on a par with each other there's no one player they go Modric Modric, make it happen mm. but even even Croatia they have Perisic and actually something I wanted to bring up in this group um, excluding Jordan, Jordan Pickford actually but the Croatia Czech Republic and Scotland goalkeepers have played really well mm-hmm. and there would be would have been far more goals if they hadn't and switched on David Marshall made great saves for Scotland and even the Czech goalie made some really good saves. Lyndon Dykes had two great chances yeah. th- that were that were saved. Yeah. Um, and all Jordan Pickford had was stupid hair. Yeah, stupid hair. Yeah, <laughs> that's my contribution that's, uh, to
0: my love of footballing knowledge to this
1: episode. Yeah, you didn't. You weren't happy with his hair.
0: I didn't. wasn't, but I I had a similar feeling watching the Czech team play, where they won two nil, but I didn't think oh, I wasn't worried about them when we play
1: England. No. No, like, not I mean, I guess like we said before we just beat Croatia yeah. presumably the the other good other best team in our group so yeah. as long as we go into the game with the right kind of mindset which under Gareth Southgate I think England are quite good at like especially in tournaments we saw against like Panama and teams mm-hmm. like that where yeah. we didn't go we're gonna breeze this so and then it turns out to be embarrassing that we scraped through like we scored six against Panama and. The Czech Republic are obviously a far greater team than, than, than Panama, but um, I've, I've got, I've got a, a mathematical reason why we maybe should be worried about the Czech Republic. Oh,
0: this is the kind of hot takes we love on Who Watches the World very Cup. Very basic. Stat
1: me, baby. Very basic mathematics. More like a pattern. Okay. But if we look at um, the Czech Republic's record in European championships. Yes. Their very first one post-Czechoslovakia. Oh, yeah. Um, as part as the Czech Republic as an independent country as an independent country was ninety six yeah and they were they finished second they lost the final to Germany right then the next one in the year two thousand they don't make it past the group stage mm-hmm. next year two thousand four they get they finished third they go okay. to the finals following following tournament they don't get out of the group stage then in twenty twelve they get all the way to the quarterfinals uh-huh. then in the last one in twenty sixteen they only get to the group stage so if you follow that pattern you might expect them to get. Out of in, the group, out of the group into the knockout knockout mm-hmm. rounds, but but they should only get to the round of sixteen. Yeah, because they've gone because they've, they've gone progressively final, down each final, final, time. Qual- yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, you've you've you enhanced this even further. Yeah, yeah. If you if this is a great prediction, they might get to the round of uh, the first knockout round. But yeah, we need them. to quick put money on it, people. Quick. Put money. I've got a similar thing with the Croatia's, Croatia's um Um, history in in the euros so again 96 is their first tournament since they broke away from yugoslavia and they got to the quarterfinals didn't qualify in 2000 but then in uh, 2004 got to they got uh, didn't get out of the groups 2008 quarterfinal next tournament don't get out of the groups 2016 they get to the round of six they get all the way to uh, only to the round of 16 they don't make it further than that so again, going by that pattern, they, they should might back not, up. no they might not get out of the group. This is this is oh, this is the year where they shouldn't get out of the group. Oh if you believe in that kind of voodoo. I'm believing in the voodoo, Dave. That's two two bets to put on, I reckon. Yeah, I mean the, well they've played one, lost one, so yeah. the maximum points they can get is six and yeah. the Czech Republic might actually be a dark horse for, for the second qualification mm. point place in this group. Ooh, that's exciting. That's exciting stuff. I like. All Scotland win both of their next games and everyone else draws and Scotland go through top. Yeah, well, again, like, this is a great chance for me to transition over, um,
0: which is talking about, you know, those, uh, how well the Czech did since the Czech Republic did since they became an independent, you know, the Czech Republic, yeah. how well Croatia did when they got their independence. Bam, Scotland, independence. What a segue. That's a uh, seamless can you imagine a better segue, Passage the Thought? So, <laughs> Scotland and, and independence, because that's coming back again. We had the previous referendum, uh, well, not even ten years ago. And um, it, when Scotland voted to remain, there was a large understanding that by choosing to stay in the United Kingdom, the United Kingdom would also be in Europe. And if Scotland left the UK... Uh, It would have to then apply for its own entry into the EU and the EU specifically said during that referendum, "Uh, don't you be thinking it's going to be easy because they wanted Scotland to stay in the UK for all of the conveniences that that come with it. Um, And so they said, we're not just going to let you in because we're historic friends, buddy boy. So Scotland chose to to stay um, to stay in the UK. And then, of course, England decided in collective madness that we were going to leave the European Union, which left Scotland being like... Oh, fuck. Exactly, Dave. Exactly. (laughs) So we now end up then with the talk of the next uh, independence referendum, because similar to Brexit, what we saw in both Scotland and... um, Well actually I guess it's the reverse, the reverse really. In Scotland it was a lot of young people that wanted to leave the United Kingdom and form an independent Scotland. Um, Whereas in Brexit the young people wanted to remain in Europe. And that's kind of what's interesting about the Scottish independence referendum is that it's kind of a reverse Brexit. Brexit is a we don't want those foreigners coming into our country kind of independence. Whereas the Scottish independence is we don't want to be told what to do by the English kind of independence. And all the, it's much more of a left-leaning form of independence than the Brexit one was. Um, because, at least in Scotland, you actually can say a lot of decisions are being made that we don't get that much of a say in. Whereas with the UK and Brussels... Like, we would say, oh, those Europeans are telling us how bendy we can have our bananas. It's like, are you freaking serious right now? And they were serious. And they were so serious about how bendy they wanted their bananas to be that we left the EU. Um, and the SNP, the Scottish National Party, have um, always been the stalwart campaigners for Scottish independence. Um, Alex Salmond, the previous head of the SNP, led... Uh, the the last referendum, uh. But after that referendum and the decision to um to remain a part of the the UK, he kind of stepped down, and then his student, his protege, Nicola Sturgeon, stepped into the fray and has become one of if well, I would say probably the most consistent and influential politician in the United Kingdom right now. Like she's been there for for years. Like the Conservatives have had. Well, three prime ministers since Brexit, and Nicola Sturgeon's just like bring it on. Um, she's, I think, pretty well liked. Like even in England, I think. Like I think there are a lot of people that would say, I wish the Scottish National Party weren't just Scottish nationals. Like, if I uh, if Nicola Sturgeon ran for
1: Prime Minister, I think she'd probably end up doing pretty well. Yeah, I like... Whenever I see her on the news, I, I like her, her attitude and the things that she seems to stand, stand for. And it, I, I agree with you. Like, when, when the Scottish referendum was happening, I was like, well, I can understand that. Yeah. I can understand. And it, eventually it seemed more logical to stay with the UK at that time. So, I, whichever way it went, I was like, you know what, they've there are good arguments both sides. Mm-hmm. But then when it came to Brexit... And maybe it's still as divisive as it was, God knows, was it five years ago when this actually, the vote actually happened? Yes. Um, yeah, it seems like there was a lot of bad arguments on the side to leave and which kind of swayed people. And all the good arguments seemed to be drowned out. Yes. Then we end up with a pretty crazy situation
0: at the beginning of this year. I don't know how much you saw about what was going on in Scotland with Nicola Sturgeon and Alex Salmond. Yeah, because as people may know, I have an, a horrible obsession with the news and you have a very healthy obsession of not looking at the news, <laughs> which means that you get to stay uh, a little bit more sane than I do because I'm driven nuts by the state of the world. So Alex Salmond, the leader of the SNP and the former uh, leader of you know the Scottish independence movement, uh, had a number of allegations against him made by women and of of harassment and assault. Um, and as he was being investigated, he then, I, he was cleared of charges, but started to pass the blame over to Nicola Sturgeon. When Nicola Sturgeon said, I denounce Alex Salmond for all of the terrible things that he did. And I can't believe that the man that I knew and trusted so long would do something like this. And it goes to it's, it goes to show that I was tricked by you know, someone I thought of as a close friend. And Alex Salmond was like, you've stabbed me in the back and I'm going to take you down. And so what he did was put forward a, a bunch of evidence, essentially... That Nicola Sturgeon knew about these allegations that were being made against him and didn't do anything about it. And that kind of came out earlier in the year and she was investigated by the by the Scottish Parliament and she was cleared of having covered it up for Alex Salmond, but a separate report by the Scottish uh, the Scottish Parliament. Uh, condemned her for the way that she did it and basically said the evidence that she is given here is like pretty sketchy where it's been like um, she went for a private conversation with Alex Salmon two days before these allegations came out and before they became public and so on and so forth and the idea that she didn't know about it was kind of so preposterous that her explanation of what it was it's, it's a whole thing it's just like it's a whole you know a whole mess but that's shaken a lot of people's faith in in her and you know her trustworthiness because it goes to show that she would if you know she would have been willing if what was said was true she would have been willing to sweep women's you know safety and the you know allegations of assault and harassment she would have just swept it away to you know to, to for the sake of politics and that that affected quite a lot uh, the other thing was, was that Alex Salmond went, I can't believe you stabbed me in the back. You basically kicked me out of my own party, you know, to, to do all of this. And you know, he had you know a, a storied political career that was then, you know, tarnished by the, by these allegations, rightfully so, if they were, you know, if, um, if they were accurate. Um, but he went, he still got a lot of support amongst Scottish uh, nationalists. So he went, I'm going to make my own party. So now you have Nicola Sturgeon with the SNP and Alex Salmond has his own separate uh, independence party to go against Nicola Sturgeon for control of the Scottish nationalist vote. Even though they both believe very, very similar things, it has created this schism where uh, not many but a few SNP uh, politicians have gone over to join Alex Salmond. which you kind of end up in this Bill Clinton-esque scenario where a man's proclivity for not treating women the way that women should be treated, um, potentially derails the entire political movement. Bill Clinton's entire uh, ambition as a politician was derailed because he kept putting his dick in places he shouldn't have been putting his dick. um and the same thing could well end up happening to scottish independence whereby you know they, they get this chance for a second referendum which boris johnson isn't going to let them have unless he literally has to because as we, as with um catalonia and places like that you and with with ukraine where we were speaking about russia and ukraine you can't just have an independence referendum because you decide you want one Right. It has to be approved by the country that you're in. And so before the Scottish independence referendum was agreed by Westminster and they said, whatever you do, you do. But once again, the Scottish independence referendum, a second one would again have to be approved by Westminster. And Boris Johnson is like, there's no way there's no way I'm going to allow that to happen unless I literally have to. Um, and so maybe we won't see that vote again. But if we do see that vote, then... Will the nationalists defeat themselves by having these, you know, warring camps based around Alex Salmond potentially, you know, allegedly is a better word, allegedly being uh, a harasser and so on and so forth.
1: So is the, like, the, the nationalist vote then kind of just being driven by this cult of personality whether they go, well, this is what I believe, but I have two people telling me to, to back them and I've got to decide which one I like the most.
0: Well, I, yeah, I'm, it is one, yeah, it is a, a, a cult personality is probably a good phrase to use. Because can you name any SNP politicians
1: other than Alex Salmond and Nicola Sturgeon? I'm, I even forgot about Alex Salmond. If yeah, you, right. If you'd asked me right, to right, name one Scottish right. politician, I would have said Nicola Sturgeon and then I would have run out of names. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> like, and that's kind of because she is the force that drives that party and the force that drives that movement. I was going to say, and the force that drives that country. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, so if you were to remove Nicola Sturgeon, and there were all, there were calls, I think there was a vote of no confidence in the Scottish Parliament over whether or not she should be allowed to continue as leader, um, then if she was to be removed, the you know the independence referendum suffers from not having that figurehead, um, and who takes over, and that's one of the reasons that she's been such an enduring figure in British politics is. British politics now is weak and you look at the politicians that we have and they are weak. Um, And, you know, it's that old. The Americans have it all the time. Where's, you know, where's our Eisenhower? Where's our Kennedy? And you look back and you go, well, you know, Obama, a leader, right? an actual leader. Joe Biden, maybe not a leader, but an experienced politician, you know, in, in his own way. And then you've got like George Bush, like, like George Bush was the kind of president you go, oh, uh, what happened to, you know, to the Eisenhower's or the, the Roosevelt's or something like that. But with, you know, with us, it's like, who was our last great prime minister, really? Probably before our lifetimes. Yeah, yeah. I'd say like, like maybe an argument could have been made for, for Tony Blair being the prime minister of the moment at that time it was like a new era of politics and he was the right man like similar to Obama Obama was the man for his moment Tony Blair was that man for his moment and then you know he went into two wars and uh, kind of you know doesn't have a great uh, reputation in the UK anymore
1: yeah
0: um and I I think Nicola Sturgeon is you know the, the, the politician for her moment and she is that that political British icon um and that contributes to that feeling that we saw of Scotland, you know, where we, where you were, you were captured by the, um, by the. This is our first tournament since ninety eight, and this isn't the rugby. This is football, and we've never got to be here, and we're gonna, we're gonna give it our best, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna brave heart our way through it. Mm. Said all of the BBC pundit punditry, <laughs> um, and you know that's kind of caught up in that continued nationalism, and you know. I guess it now remains to be seen whether that can rally, you know, after having been defeated by the Czech Republic. Will that national spirit continue or will it be like, well, we've lost
1: and, you know, we, we're,
0: we keep losing.
1: Yeah, like what, what I've been reading seems to be very much like a very dramatic fall from this elation and excitement and anticipation To just plummet back down to, oh yeah, we're Scotland, we always lose at football. And it's, yeah, how that's maybe affecting the Scottish, um, not identity, but the the Scottish spirit on on the whole right now. But you know, hopefully they won't get too down in the dumps. There's still two more games and if england are safe somehow to go through yeah although the england, scotlands our next game isn't it right yeah that's a shame okay well what i want from the england scotland game is a fucking amazing game of football yes like a great a yeah. rivalry played out on the pitch goals england can win 3-2 or something that's yeah. fine but yeah that and then maybe that can be the, what what gives scotland enough to go out big in their last game against croatia but yeah yeah i would you'd hate to see them shrink both from the footballing perspective and as a country. Yeah.
0: Next episode is Group E, but the next games tonight are Group F. Tonight we've got Hungary, Portugal, France, Germany.
1: Now I'm excited for those games. Those those are going to be yeah I think those are going to be really cool games and we there were some surprises in last night's yeah. Group E games. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean that you would think Portugal go into this one. Assert to win, but they drew. I think in the last Euros was it the last Euros yeah. or the World Cup where they were in in the same group and Hungary got two all to draw, and that was in- amazing. So maybe there can be a repeat of that. And in France and Germany, two of the powerhouses of European and world football historically, um, even though one is very much in the ascendancy and one is kind of holding on by a thread to their their great legacy. Um, so yeah, it'd be great to see. I'm really excited to see actually how which what Germany are like now, <laughs> because they've not had a great a series of results over the last year or so. Um, and yeah, their World Cup was an absolute disaster. So I have no idea what to It's a bit like with the Holland game. I have no idea what to expect. And the Holland game turned out to be probably the most exciting game of the tournament so far. It was a cracker.
0: Yeah. It,
1: yeah. Was, it was a cracker. It was a thunderbolt of a game. And that was one of those, one of these football games where we weren't really sure which yeah. side we were on, and then we were up, cheering the goals as they went in because yes. it was just such a just great, such a, such a great game.
0: Yeah. Then, somewhat unfortunately, we have the counterpoint to that game, which is the next group, uh, Group E, including Spain and Sweden, which we thought might be an amazing uh, display of football, and turned out to be a. Uh... Well, we'll get into it on the next episode. Yeah, we'll get into it. Yeah, yeah. So join us for the next episode as we break down just what the hell is Luis doing managing the Spanish team.
1: Join us then. (laughs) That's a really niche joke. (laughs)